Hey, we want to say a few things, too, about Mother's Day. Um, um, you know, just about being, being a mom. You know, being a mom, I, there's, uh, I don't have to tell any moms this. You, you already know. There's an inconvenience to being a mom, isn't there? It's just inconvenient. It's just like you got to give up your plans. You got to give up your dreams. You got to give up. There's a lot of things you give up. Some of you put careers on the back burner. To be a mom, you've, I mean, not to mention your plans, your, your time, and Lord knows your money. Like, it's just, that's what, it, that's what it means to be a mom. And so it's just, it's inconvenient. And I know, you know, just from, you know, watching Bethany, it's like there's a sacrifice to being a mom. And, and a lot of times it's like, it, it's stuff that feels like it goes unseen. It's like that job that never ends. It's like you do laundry only to do more laundry. It just never ends. The dishes are always there, right? It just, it's just, it's life. And uh, it's not, there's not a lot of glamour to it a lot of times. And so it's inconvenient. The, you know, the other part I think that makes that difficult is there's, a, there's, there's cultural pressure when it comes to mom. You know, our culture over the last 40, 50 years has been an increasing, increasingly devalued life in general. And as a result, momhood, fatherhood, you just go down to family life. There's a devaluing of family life altogether. And so... And unfortunately, you, 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 put, you put all your energy into being a mom only to turn around and it's like, there's no, there's no accolades. Like, there's no, there's no round of applause at the end of the day because you didn't take the life of your children. Like, they're living at the end of the day. It's like, you won. I remember that was like, that was the standard when your kids are little. It's like, listen, listen, B, at the end of the day, if the kids are living, you did it. You did it. They're healthy and alive. That's right. Yeah, that's 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 sometimes what it feels like, and uh, there's, again, there's a cultural pressure to it. I mean, there's this cultural pressure that, especially for moms, where it's like we like to say this: "You're just a mom," and what are we saying? We're saying, "Well, what else are you doing? Like, where's your career? And what else are you doing? What else are you putting out there for the world to see?" And it's like, and Lord knows, don't you dare mess up. Like, don't don't let anybody in that it, the house isn't actually you know not clean all the time. Like, don't let anybody know that. And so there's a cultural pressure. But here, there's, an, there's another part of being a mom, too. And that part is that sometimes it, there's a pain to being a mom. And I think for, for those of us that have kids, I mean, you, you have children. And, you know, as a parent, you got to go through those seasons where you watch your kids maybe make decisions that are not the best decisions. And that can be hard. Right? I mean, that can be difficult to, to do that. The other, and then I, I think, too, um, um, you know, there's some of you in here that you've, um, you know, you have adult children. You know, the, your, your kids are out of the house and they're maybe they're far from God. There's a pain factor mm-hmm. that comes with, with, with parenting. I mean, we, we, as a mom, right, you're, you're, you're making this investment. We want a return on our investment, don't we? We're just hoping that in 18 years, it's like this, this comes back. Like this, the seeds that have been sown produce the harvest that we were, were hoping for. And uh, I know some of you, you've lost, you've had loss, you know, mm-hmm. maybe you've lost a child and, um, you know, Mother's Day, we all celebrate, but Mother's Day is kind of a reminder of something that you don't have anymore. And, um, and so there, there's pain associated with it. I think of all the miscarriages that are probably represented in this room. There's a lot of, a lot of moms that have babies in heaven right now. And uh, that pain's real. And I, I'm reminded this, this Mother's Day, there's a story in the Bible, and a story of, uh, of Hagar. And she goes out into the wilderness with her son Ishmael, and she puts her son under a tree, and she's, she's pained. She's got all this pain, and it's, most of it is surely associated with the fact that she's going to watch her son die. And she cries out to God, and I think she cries out. I think what, she cry, what her prayer was, I think that's what a lot of moms are saying. She's going, does anybody see me? Does anybody see me? 
And God answers her and he encourages her. And he says, he says, he says, Hagar, your son's not going to die. He's going to live. And he encourages her in that moment. And she's the first one. Imagine this. A mom who's pained over her son is the first person who gives God a name in the whole Bible. And he gives him a name. She gives him a name and she says, you are the God who sees me. You're the God who sees me. I think that's God's word for all of you moms here today. He is the God that sees you. He sees where you're at. He sees those of you that are just in the daily grind of it. He sees those of you moms who are on your knees and you're praying for your adult kids. He sees those of you who are moms who want kids and you don't, you know, you, you want kids, you want more kids and you don't, and it hasn't happened yet. Some of you, you're, you want to be a mom, you're not there. Listen, he is the God who sees you. He loves you. He knows where you're at. He wants to encourage you in your faith and your walk with Christ today. Amen. Do you believe that? Very good. Hey, let me pray for you. I'm going to pray a blessing over all the moms. We're going to do this together. Pray a blessing over all you moms. And then we are going to uh, jump into the rest of our service. Heavenly Father, thank you right now for being so good to us. Thank you for Jesus. Father, I just pray, pray a blessing over every one of our moms here that are, that are here today. This is, a, this is a noble, this is a holy office that you've called these, these ladies to. To be a mom is, is such a unique thing. And I just thank you right now that even in those, in the grind of it, in those times when it doesn't seem like uh, there's any reward, when it seems like there's no light at the end of the tunnel, when it seems like nobody sees them and nobody's, nobody's acknowledged grind, I just thank you that you are the God that sees them, that you're in it and that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, you will encourage them, that you can lift them up, that in their weakness, they can be made strong because of Jesus Christ in them. And so I just thank you for that. Moving forward, a special blessing over each of our moms. We thank you for Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Everybody said amen, amen. amen. Church, can we just celebrate moms one last time? Thank you, my man. We are in this series called Family Values. How appropriate is that? It's Mother's Day. We're talking about family values. I love that. Today, I want to talk about a blessed home, having a blessed home. How many in here? It's, it's not a trick question, okay? How many of y'all? Anybody here? You, you want a blessed home, not a cursed home, right? Yeah. Here? yeah, we want blessed homes. Yes, we all do. Now, in a, in a room, and it's in a room this size with this many people, first, second service, listen, there's a whole, there's a whole lot of different families that are represented here. We've got, you got two parent homes, or both of you are there. We got, we got broken homes. We got single parent homes. We got, we got blended homes, mended homes, struggling homes. Like, just go down the list. It's all here. We're all, all of our home types. I mean, it's, it's all right here in the room. And, and, for all of our differences that maybe all these home lives represent, I think we all have something in common. There's one thing in common we all have. Single included, by the way. Here's what it is. We all want our homes blessed. We all want to be, we all want to have a home that, that, that we say is blessed by God. I think of, um, I was thinking about a, a, a fight that Bethany and I had years ago. I know none of you have ever had a fight. It's the only one we've ever had. And, uh, you know, it was years ago, years, so far ago, I barely remember it. And um, my kids, they like, to do the, they like to do this thing where they like to reminisce. It's like, let's go down memory lane. Dad, you remember that fight that you, <laughs> that you and mom had that one time? And it was a very memorable fight. So when they say that one time, it's like, I know exactly what you're, what you're talking about. And so, you know, my kids come to me, they say that to me, you know, they got a big smile on their face. And I got to and I got to take responsibility. I got to have a moment. It's like, okay, I'm going to be honest with them. I'm not going to be too transparent, but I'll be honest with them, you know. And so I look up and I'm like, you know, yeah, I remember that fight, you know. 
Your mom has since repented. And <laughs> nobody believes me. Nobody believes me that that's the way away. Yeah. So I'm, I'm having that. You know, it, it, when I think about stories like that, it's like you, you have, everybody has stories like that with your kids. Kids have a unique way of giving us a window into our home culture. They kind of give us a glimpse. It's like, what's my home life really like? And then you kind of see some of the things your kids say or do, or some of the questions they ask, and you go, oh, oh man. that's what they're thinking about. That's, that's the focal point there. It's like, okay, it's a window into what, what the temperature of your home is sort of like. Now, maybe you've heard this before. I, I, I usually, I've told uh, couples this, husbands and wives, moms and dads. I've, we often say, dads, husbands, you're like the thermostat. Moms, wives, you're like, the, you're like a thermometer. So dads have this unique ability to come in into the home and setting the spiritual temperature, spiritual climate of your home. And if, and if you want to know how you're doing, you just turn to your wife and ask her, and she'll be able to tell you how it's going, right? It's like you're trying to set it, and your wife, mom, has a unique way of being able. She's got her, she's got her thumb on the pulse of the spiritual temperature of your home. And there's a lot of truth to that. Every so often, when you're at the dinner, just principle. But let me just go take it a step further. I got news for you. Mom, you can be the thermostat too. You, you, mom and dad, you can both set the spiritual temperature and the climate for your home. You can both do that. Do you believe that? Yes, we can do that. I want to read this. This is out of uh, Matthew chapter 5. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's the Sermon on the Mount. It's the Beatitudes. It's what does it look like to be a Jesus follower? That's essentially what it is. And he talks about what's it mean? What's it look like to be blessed in the kingdom of God? And he goes through these eight characteristics of those who are blessed. He talks about the pure in heart, the peacemakers. He talks about those who are persecuted. In Matthew 5 verse 6, he makes this statement. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. Not a, not, not a trick question. What's our part? What do we do? We hunger and thirst for righteousness. What is God's part? What does he do? He promises to fill us. We hunger and thirst for righteousness and he is faithful to fill us. This is, this is what blessing looks like. I want you to imagine, just imagine, imagine your home, a home that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Filled with what, by the way? I mean, that's probably worth asking, right? Filled. Filled with what? Well, the fruit of the Spirit. Imagine your home filled with love. Imagine a home full of joy. Peace. Some of you, just imagine your home being peaceful. Like You go home. It's a home full of peace, right? Patience, self-control. Imagine a home that's filled with this type of fruit. Well, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness says that God will fill them. I want to ask you this question. In your home, what do you hunger for? What do you hunger for? I think we all want to say God, right? Oh, it's God, right? But, but here's, here's what's going to tell you that. It's like, what's your energy and your time going toward? Like, what's, where are you investing there? Here's one for you. What would your kids say to you? If you asked your kids this question, what would they say about your home? What do you hunger for in your home? I think for some of us, we might say, well, it's comfort. 
It's like, my, my goal in life is to be comfortable. Maybe it's to have fun. By the way, nothing wrong with these. I like being comfortable, and I like having fun. So it's not that these are wrong. The question is, is what are you hungering for? What are we what are we pursuing? What are we in pursuit of? For some of us, it's social media. We look at social media and we're just bogged down by the endless scroll. And it's like, there's all this, you know, it's popularity, it's winning, it's being the best. It's like, what is it that we really hunger for? I think if we're honest. I think if a lot of us are honest, the truth is, is that we, is that we hunger for other things. We do. We, we kind of, we just, we want to maybe, but, but we hunger for, for other things. And what do you do when you hunger for, for something else? When you're, when, you, when, you, when you're not hungering for the things of God, what, what needs to happen is you need to change your appetite. Like your, your appetite needs to change. Now for me, I don't like vegetables. Anybody here with me? Nah, I can go without those. Yeah, yeah. I know they're good for me. I don't need a lecture. I realize I'm supposed to eat my vegetables. I'm not a big fan of vegetables, okay? So here I am. I don't like my vegetables very much. And... Uh, there was a time where I just didn't want to eat any vegetables. A very, very healthy lifestyle choice, right? <laughs> no vegetables. Well, I remember one time watching this scrolling through the, the endless scroll, right, and the cooking videos. Man, those are so fun to watch, right? So you just go, I love the cooking videos. And here they go. And I saw this one with an eggplant. And I thought, that looks disgusting. It's an eggplant. And they cut it up into thin slices. And then they made eggplant parmesan. And I was like, now that looks good. Maybe I do like vegetables. This is, this is looking pretty good. I like this. And ever since then, I thought, wait, there's, uh, there's things you can do with your vegetables. And it's like, man, suddenly I like onions. I like asparagus. Believe it or not, my kids, my, my son thinks I'm crazy. I love Brussels sprouts. I, it's, it's crazy, I know. But you, what, what happened? What's the shift that's beginning to happen? Well, like that video that was in front of me, I started, I intook something else. I began to see this in the, through a different lens. I began to see vegetables in a way where I thought, wait, maybe this is actually appetizing. Maybe it is. I kind of had an appetite for these things. And I think, I think the things of God, I think when the Bible says hunger and thirst after righteousness, I don't think it's that, I don't think it's that different. I think for a lot of us, it's like we're not, we're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness because we're looking at God. We're looking at our faith through the wrong lens. For a lot of us, we just don't realize just how good the good news really, really is. We're seeing it through the wrong lens. So I wanna, I'm going to answer this question. We're going to say, why, why don't we hunger and thirst? Like, how can we hunger and thirst for righteousness? But, but before I answer it, I think maybe a better route to go would be to say, what doesn't work? Let's talk about what, what doesn't work before we talk about what does. Here's the first thing that doesn't, that doesn't work legalistic Christianity. Legalism doesn't work. What, what, what do I mean by that? Legalism. It's, it's rules-based faith. It's like, don't drink, don't cuss, don't chew, don't, don't go with those who do, right? We got our little saying for it too, right? It's, it, it, this, is, this is it. It's like legalism. It's like, you got to make sure you make all the right decisions. It's like, well, I know what a real Christian does. A real Christian doesn't do that. They do that. They don't talk like that. They talk like this, right? We just, our faith has just been, has just been filtered down into all these categories of do's and don'ts. And I think there's some of us, maybe it is, I think maybe a lot of times it is kind of a point of pride for us. We're like, yep, I'm doing it right. But I think for, for many others, we're genuinely looking for a standard. We're going, wait, but isn't there like a standard I'm supposed to live my life by? What is that standard? Like, what am I, tell me how to do it. Tell me how to get better, be better, 
get right with God. What do I gotta, what do I gotta do? And the, the problem with the problem with legalism and approaching your faith this way is that it's a lot of weight to carry. It's a lot of weight to carry on your shoulders the pressure of making all the right decisions all the time. The pressure of getting it right all the time. Because here, here's why. Every one of us, we all know ourselves. We know we have shortcomings, don't we? I mean, we know we have shortcomings. I might be doing a good job of not letting my neighbor know I got shortcomings, but we all know that we have some shortcomings. And when, and when legalism is the lens through which you see your faith and, and you are realizing that maybe you're not getting it right, maybe you still have some sin in your life, maybe you got like, you've got, you're falling short and whatever, wherever. It's like, if it's all about legalism, that's a big weight on your shoulder. You have to carry that around with you now. And I got news for you. That's not the way God intended for you to live out your faith. And the, the, one of the indications that maybe this is where you're at is that when we, when we approach our faith through through a series of good behavior, we tend to not have a lot of tolerance for ourselves. We, we, tend, to be, we tend to be hard on ourselves. It's like, no, I can do better. I, I shouldn't have done that. And I, ah, I, I, I can do better. This isn't the way I should have been. Uh-uh. No, we, should, we have no tolerance for our own behavior. And as a result of that, as a result of that, when somebody who is close to us and maybe isn't getting it right, we tend to have very little tolerance for them too. We kind of project our own sense of we gotta, we got to get it right. We project that on those that we love the most. And that's unfortunate because that's a lot of weight. That robs, of, uh, robs us of our peace in our home, robs us of the joy in our home when you feel like you got to get it right every time. There's no room for error here. See, here's the thing. When, you, when, you, when, you're, when you're thinking about legalism, when you're thinking about rules for Christianity, what happens is, is you, you find yourself, it's, it's, a, it's a door that swings both ways. So you're on this side of the door. And... And at first, it's, it's usually guilt and shame. That's the first, those are the two things you're carrying. Because you're on this side of the door, you're, maybe you're just getting going, you're just like, man, I'm, I'm so messed up, I've made so many mistakes. What do I got to do to get this right? And so you just feel a lot of guilt, and as a result, you feel a lot of shame because you're not sure you want to let people into all the dark areas because you know how bad it gets. So you sit on this side of the door trying to do everything you can to get to God on the other side of that door. If I just get it right. And maybe, maybe... If you work at it long enough, you get enough self-discipline, right? You get enough discipline. You're like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm winning. I got my prayer time and I got this and I got that, right? I'm winning and you walk through the door. You're like, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm living it. The problem is that when you get to this side of the door, see, it's not guilt. Now it's just pride that sets in. And it's like, see, I'm doing it. You should be able to do it too. And see, the shame though doesn't go away because here's the truth. Here it is again. We all know we have shortcomings. So when we have those shortcomings, God forbid anybody finds out that what's really going on in our lives. We can't let anybody know that we're not doing it right. Can't let anybody know. See, all of us, none of us likes this. None of us likes this. You don't like, nobody likes encountering somebody who you believe is fake. Like nobody likes being around people who are fake. We like authenticity. I mean, honestly, you wouldn't even want to come. You don't even want, you don't want to come to a church where you feel like the guy that's up here preaching to you is like telling you this way and lives his life totally different outside of here. Like you don't like that. Nobody does. We like authenticity. We like people who uh, who walk their talk. Like we want that, right? Everybody, every one of us wants that. And it's not just in the church. It's a cultural value. Like our whole culture talks about authenticity. We want people to be authentic. I got news for you. 
Okay, authenticity is a Bible idea. That comes from the Bible. See, in the Bible, we don't use the word authenticity. We have a, where's a spiritual discipline attached to it. It's called, it's called the discipline of confession. <laughs> it's called the discipline of confession. Here's what it is. <laughs> I, I, I try not to. I'm just like, I want to say something, but I don't want to embarrass you. There anyway, it's all good. Um, I pointed out a crying baby in the last service because I really thought it was my baby. Then it wasn't. So that kind of felt bad. So I was like, oh, not my baby. <laughs> anyway, it happens. Okay, here's, here's what it is. The culture values authenticity. In the Bible, we say confession. What do we mean by that? See, authenticity is that moment when you're around somebody and you don't have the pretense up. You're not pretending that you're somebody that you're not. But see, in the culture, we go, see, we're all mistakes, and then we all relish in our mistakes, and we don't challenge each other to be more like Jesus. See, in the Bible, we say, confess to one another. Why? Because confession pulls down the pretense. It takes it away. It turns you into this authentic person that doesn't relish in the things that we want to see change in our life, but it goes, hey, I'm bringing these things that are in the dark into the light so that the love of Jesus can shine on them and he can heal those areas of my life and I can be more like Jesus moving forward. That's an authentic Christian. That's authenticity right there. That's what we want. Every one of us wants that, but that's not legalism. Confession produces authenticity. I know some of you, you're hearing this and maybe your reaction is, wait a second, it's not a bunch of moral rules? Wait a second, it's, what are you saying? Like, are you saying I can just do whatever I want? Like You're saying there's no rules? Well, let's read this first. Philippians 3, verses 9 through 10. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. Not of my works, not of the law or the laws that I create for myself, for that matter. No, through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And some of you might be going, well, wait a second. Are you just saying that we can just do whatever we want? Well, hold on a second. If we don't have some rules in place, people will just do, go, they'll just run wild. They'll just live their life any way they want. you got to have some kind of rules in place. You know, it's funny that, that people make that argument is that they've been making that same argument all throughout Scripture. Even they made that same argument to Paul in Romans. And guess what? He had a response for that. Here's was his, here was his response. Romans 6, 1 through 2. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? See, I think if I could reduce it down, I think for those of us that struggle with this legalism, so I think we see God, we have a wrong perspective of God. See, we see God as a taskmaster. He's the guy that's got a bat up here and a magnifying glass down here, and he's just, he's just waiting for you. He's just waiting for you. Every, every bad thing that comes in your life, well, God's just getting me back for all the bad decisions I've made. Like We just have this unhealthy taskmaster perspective about your heavenly father. That's something we tell parents. I tell parents, and I certainly didn't make it up, uh, but uh, this phrase, rules without relationship equals rebellion. Great parenting advice. Don't just be a rule-based home. Be a relationship-based home. Great, great parenting advice. It goes both ways. It's not just for your kids. It goes for you too. See, your relationship with the Lord, listen to me, listen to me. If you, if you are looking at your relationship with the Lord, you see your relationship with the Lord as a bunch of rules and not a lot of relationship, that weight will become too much to bear. You will walk away. 
You will walk away. It's rules without that relationship equals walking away, rebelling against God. That's what it equals in our life. Your heavenly father is not a taskmaster. He loves you very, very much. He's a loving heavenly father. All right, here's the next thing that doesn't work. Lukewarm Christianity. Lukewarm Christianity. What's that mean? This is the difference between believing in God and living for God. Lukewarm Christianity. This is like, well, I prayed with my family, but are we praying for our family, right? It's like, well, I shared a scripture with my family. Yeah, but are you investing into your family? Like this is lukewarm Christianity. I want to maybe shed a different light on this phrase, because I think some of you grown up in church, you've heard this phrase lukewarm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to shed a new light on this whole idea of what it means to be luke, of lukewarm Christianity. If you'll bear with me, these aren't on the screen, so you'll just have to listen. You don't have to turn there. There's a scripture out of Leviticus chapter 18, and it's a very bizarre. If you read it, you would probably just kind of got all wide-eyed as you read all the all this stuff that it talked about and just kind of glossed right over it and thought, I don't know what that has to do with me. But it's this part where where God is basically telling the people of Israel, he's saying, listen, if you take on these cultural ideas and practices, and in Leviticus 18, there were sexual practices, if you take on these ideas and these practices and you bring them into the land, in Leviticus 18, it says that the land will spit you out. That's what he says. You bring in these foreign ideas, the land will spit you out. Okay, fast forward to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, and here's Jesus, and he's speaking to this church at a place called Laodicea. And he says these words to this church. He says, I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. See, I think the way we've often heard this, if you're up in church, is we're told the interpretation of this we've often heard is that, is that cold means that you're just really far from God, and hot means that you're just on fire for the Lord. And, and what God would rather you be is in one of those two categories, but he certainly doesn't want you in the middle of the road. Let me just say right now, wrong. That's a, that's a, that's a false interpretation. That's not, that's not accurate. See, in this, in this case, see, cold and hot are both good. Lukewarm is bad. See, in this community, in Laodicea, they did not have their own water source. They didn't have their own water source. So they didn't have any hot water, any, any cold water. And so the closest source of hot water was springs was almost six miles away. The closest source for cold water was about five miles away. And they built this amazing feat of engineering uh, accomplishment. They built these aqueducts to funnel in hot water and cold water into this community. But if you think about this for just a minute, after six miles of hot water going down the aqueduct and cold water coming down, what happens by the time it gets to the community? It's lukewarm. It's now lukewarm water. See, here's, here's the principle. Here's the principle here. See, for a lot of us, our faith, we're looking at our, our, our faith through this lens of culture. We've, we're bringing in cultural ideas, cultural practices from outside of God's way of doing things. We've brought it in. For a lot of us, our faith has been running through six miles of culture, five miles of politics, and it's created this lukewarm version of Christianity and faith. And here's the, here's the answer. Here's the remedy. Here's what he's saying. He's not saying, you need to be on fire. That's not, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, do you have your own source? You need your own source. See, I love church. I love church. I hope I do. I'm here. I'm up here, right? I love, I love church, right? Church is great. 
And, and you need to be in church. It's one of the best spiritual disciplines you can practice is to continue going to church. But listen to me. If you don't have your own source, your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ, this won't do you a whole lot of good in the long run. You need your own source, not lukewarm Christianity. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, then. What does work? I mean, that's the question. Legalism doesn't work. If this lukewarm version doesn't work where we're bringing in cultural ideas and stuff. So what does work? Here we go. Let's start with this phrase. I think this is such a powerful phrase. If you could just, if you remembered this as you left today, we are not a Christian family. We are a Christ-centered home. Christ-centered home. The whole idea of we're a Christian nation, we're a Christian family, it's gotten so cliche. It's got all kinds of different variations and all kinds of different meanings. Let's just take it a step further and say we're not a Christian family. We are a Christ-centered home. That's where we start right there. He's not a part of our family. He's in the middle of our home. He's there. He's right there. I think about, you know, I, I think about being a Christian and getting involved in, in, you know, walking out your faith. You know, for some of us, we get really good at quacking, right? I'm a duck. I want to be a duck. So I learned to talk like a duck and you quack. Problem is you can't lay eggs. See what I'm saying? So you don't, you can't produce the fruit that a duck produces, which means... Not a duck. That's what it means. <laughs> Not a duck, right? What does that mean? It means, it means we can talk and we can try to do this legalistic way of doing things or we can put Christ at the center of our home and we can begin to produce the kind of fruit that Jesus wants all of us to be producing in our life. See, this is the whole idea of hungering and thirsting after righteousness so that you can be filled with fruit. Filled with the fruit of the Spirit in your home. That's what God wants for every one of you. That's what he wants for all of our homes. I'm going to give you a, a, a kind of a takeaway tool here for you. This is Psalm 63. one. Let's read this verse together first. It says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I wonder how many of us would go, You, oh, high score on the video games are my God. How many of us would say that? Oh, you, you oh, Instagram followers, you are... My God, you owe salary and career plans. You are my, you know, what, what, would you, what would we actually say, right? You, God, you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I want you to do something this week. I want you to write this verse down, and I want, you to, I want you to reword this week. I want you to make this your prayer. I want you to make this your declaration for your family this week. It's Psalms, same, same verse. I just want you to tweak some of the words so that you can personalize it better. I want you to say it like this. You, God, are our God. Earnestly, we seek you. We thirst for you. Our whole family longs for you. Some of you read that, and you go, yeah, but that's not true. <laughs> Listen to me. I want you to do it even if it's not true. You need to start thinking this way. You need to start confessing this over your family. You need to make this your prayer for your family. God wants to bless your home. He wants to fill your home. Amen? Amen. Amen. Here's, a, here's the truth. And, and Listen, if you have... Especially if you're a parent, I think you're, you probably are somewhat aware of this. You're always teaching your kids. You're always teaching your kids about who God is, quite frankly. 
Your kids see you, mom, dad, they see you, and they're getting their, their idea of who God is and his character based on what they are observing and how you're interacting with them. We're always doing that. And by the way, for those of you that are single and you don't have kids yet, or maybe, you, maybe you're married, you just don't have kids yet, here's the truth. Listen, you got to lead yourself before you can start leading your family. Like it starts here. It starts, it starts with you. It's not, it's not like you got kids and then it's just like suddenly I'm going to start pointing them toward Jesus. No, it starts right now. Wherever you're at, it starts right now. So we're always, we're always teaching our kids about who he is. And I think our, for every one of us, it, it needs to be a priority to teach our kids that God is loving. He's approachable. He's involved. He's not hard-hearted. He's not, he's not standing off at an, at an arm's length, much, much, much less way out in the distant universe, just uninvolved in everything. That going. No, he's approachable. We can come to him. He's concerned about even the small things in our life. I got news for you. He is that big of a God. He is. But I think for a lot of parents, maybe even a lot of spouses, whether it's, whether it's our relationship, our marriage, our kids, our home life, whatever that is, we're looking for a moment. Like we're, we're going, okay, what's, what's going to be like a moment I can take advantage of here? What's going to be that like one thing that I can implement in my family that's going to make all the difference? Like, is it, is it at the, is it, should I make sure that this Wednesday night we get around the table and we pray before dinner? Is that, if I do that, will that make all the difference? Right? We're looking for the moment and that one thing. And I got news for you. It's not a moment. It's not built in a, in a moment. It's not built after, after one thing. It's, it's built, here's a word for you. Culture. It's culture. Culture. Culture, it's not one thing one time. It's that one thing over and over and over and over again. It's not that one moment that makes all the difference in our lives. It's that moment and another moment and another moment the next day and the next day there's another moment. Like these are, it's built on itself. It's called culture. How many of you here last week got to hear Pastor Greg? Yeah, everybody enjoy that having Pastor Greg here. Man, I love I love Pastor Greg, and he's been he's a mentor to me and a pastor to me, and I uh, always enjoy and I always get a lot out of him, and just he's just always encouraging, always sharing and teaching, and so I I, I love it, and uh, he's always been that way for me, and I remember I remember years ago when I was working directly for him, and uh, his son started working at the church as well, and I thought, okay, I'm gonna get some special insight here into the home life of Pastor Greg. I was like, I'm going to take him out to lunch, right? Don't act like you're not above that, right? You can grill my kids one day too. Tell us what's really going on at home. Is he yelling at your mom? Is that what he's doing? I know you're going to be asking all kinds of questions. You want to get some insight. You want to know, hey, is this real? Like what's going on at home? What was home life really like, right? So I remember I took his son out to lunch and I, we're sitting there, we're hanging out and talking. I asked him, I just said, hey, tell me, what was it like growing up? Just tell me about your dad. Just shed some light on that for me. And he made this comment to me. He just said, you know, my dad was always honest about his relationship with God. He was just, he goes, it was never, uh, he said it was never fake. He said, I always just, it was, it was always honest. I always felt like, I never felt like I saw my dad at church leading thousands of people and then, and then go home with our family. It was like a totally different person. It was never like that. It was just the same person all the time. He's like, I, I just, I love that I thought, man, that's, that's incredible. What, what is that? Let's see, the thing that stood out to him, the thing that, that he could have told me, of all the things he could have told me, what he tells me isn't a moment. 
When he, told, he didn't tell me as something that happened in a moment. He didn't tell me that, that one thing that made all the difference. No, what he told me was, he said, we had a, what he told me was that there was a culture in his home of honesty and authenticity. It was a cultural thing. Listen, that doesn't happen overnight. You, you don't get that way overnight. That happens over, day after day, following God. I remember my, my son. My son, not that long ago, he called, he says, Dad, can you tuck me in tonight? And I go in there and I tuck him in. He says, Hey, will you pray for me? I got, I got a kid, I got, I got a friend, I, I got a friend at school that I'm struggling with. Will you pray for me? And you're just, you're in that moment. What, what is that? Will you pray for me? That's not a moment. That, that's culture. That's culture. You build that over time. It happens over time, years of involving God in what we're saying, years of involving God in what we're doing and what we're talking about. It's just, it, it happens over time. You can't just tell your kids, we will start. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. It's relational. It's relational. I want to leave you here with, give you three really practical tools. Three things. What, what can you do to walk out of here with? I'm going to give you, I want to give you these, these three Things, three ways to create like a culture in your home where you have this, where you can say, no, you know what? We got a home that hungers after God. I want to give you that. Here's the first one. Involve God in your daily conversations. Involve him in your daily conversations. It's not, it's not mystical. It's not mysticism. I think we kind of get these like weird ideas where it's like, well, if we're involving God, I got to start speaking in King James and I got to start doing these weird things. And it's like, we got to get in the circle, even though we've never done it as a family, we're going to all hold hands and we're going to do popcorn prayer and go around the room. And it's going to be really awkward. And uh, the first moment that somebody has something else going on in the evening, we're never going to do it again, right? That's, that's usually how it goes. No, involve them in your daily conversation. Like, like you have a moment. Where you go, man, something really great happens to you in your life. Something comes to you. You're blessed and you just look at your kids and go, man, look what God did. Man, look how blessed we are. Look how God has blessed us. How simple is that? Just acknowledging that God's in it, that he's involved. Look, look how God, how, how good God is. He answered that for us. He gave that to us. Look at our home. We're together. You know what? Thank God. Praise God. Your kids come to you. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's you just personally. You don't know what to do. You, you, you don't, you got to make a decision. How about, how about instead of reeling over, our first response is, hey, you know what? Let's just ask God real quick. God, give us the wisdom to navigate this decision correctly. Amen. There we go. Just a, let's go to God. Let's ask him in this moment. Let's go to God. I love this verse. Proverbs 3, verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge. Acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. I think for some of us, we get, we get caught up in this idea. It's like, if I'm going to make a decision, i got to pray for a minimum of hours, maybe days, weeks preferably, before I make any kind of decision moving forward. And look, hear me, hear me out. Maybe there are some circumstances and decisions in your life that warrant that kind of time to go to God. But here's the truth. Acknowledge Him. That's not reality for most of us and the way we're living our life. And God's not trying to beat you up about that. He's saying, no, in all your ways, acknowledge me. This week, you're going to go to work. And you're going to get up. You're going to go, I slept in, and I didn't get up, and I didn't read my Bible, and I didn't pray like I should, and I'm about to walk into work, and I'm about to deal with a client that drags me up the wall. And guess what? Yeah, you didn't spend the, the quote, hour in prayer that you're lying to all of us that you do every morning, but that's okay. God forgives you, and so do we. But here's what you're doing. You're walking in that moment. You're saying, God... Help. God, help me in this moment. I need you. Ask. Acknowledge him. 
in that moment. Acknowledge him. This is how we make him a part of our daily conversation. All right, here's the second thing. Make church non-negotiable. Make church non-negotiable. I love it. You know, um, getting done with service here, I, I try to make my way over to Freedom Kids at least a couple times a month. And I love it when kids come out of there and I just, and I ask, I'll ask, I'll probably ask some of your kids because I'll just ask some random kids sometimes, what'd you learn? How's it going in there? And I love the response when I hear from kids how they can't wait to come back. They can't wait to come back to their teacher that they got to hang out with, their small group leader that they got to know over there. Like, they're, they're friends that they're meeting. I, I, I love that. You need to be able to, you need to create that in your kids. You need to create this desire to want to come back. See, this is the thing. It's relational. Your faith is relational. Your church is relational. And that requires time and consistency in order to cultivate those kinds of relationships. Make church non-negotiable. Here's the third thing. Show, show your family, model this. How you're, show your family how seeking and serving God is fun. It is. God's, God's not, listen, God's not sitting up there with a frown on his face all the time. No, he's the God of joy. He's the God of joy. It's a, see, we, if you're a part of our dream teams, one of our core values as a dream team is we say we choose joy. We choose it. And the reason we say that is because joy is not a fruit of our circumstances. It's a fruit of the Spirit. So if you're a follower of Christ and you're walking in the Spirit, guess what? You can have joy regardless of your circumstances. You can have that. It's a matter of, am I going to walk in the Spirit in this moment or not? We choose joy. And as a mom, as a dad, as a, as a parent, as a leader in your home, as a single person who wants to live this kind of life, as a single person who wants this kind of family life one day, model it now. Do it today. Model it. Listen, life's so serious all the time. You ever notice that? I mean, life is just serious. It's, it's, just, it's serious all the time. You read the news. It's never good. And listen, Listen, I, I, I've heard people say, well, we should put more good news in the news. Honestly, no, none of us would read it. If it was all good news, we would just go on. No, everybody wants to read the bad news. That's what we're doing. Life is so serious all the time. We were at Saturday morning prayer yesterday, night, and I told this story of a, of a guy I'd heard several years ago. He was a young politician, and he was being interviewed. And uh, he had just, I think he had just had a baby, or they just adopted. I can't remember exactly. But he was super excited. He was so excited on this interview, and he just, he didn't talk about anything serious. He just said, man, I'm just so overjoyed with the blessing of our family, and it just, it's expanding, just so excited. And then they cut it, they cut him, and they brought in another commentator to commentate on the interview. And this person comes in there, and they were appalled. And they said, how dare he be so joyful and happy? Doesn't he know the injustices that are happening around him? How dare he be that joyful and happy. See, that's, a, that's our cultural. That's the weight of our culture. You can't be joyful. You can't be happy. If one person's unhappy, then we should all be unhappy. And I got news for you. That's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is full of joy. And he wants you to be joyful. He wants your home to be joyful. He wants your home to be full of peace. This is what he wants for you. He wants that for you. He wants you to enjoy your summer. Enjoy your summer. I'm going to. Listen, I got lake plants. I got all kinds of plants. Fishing plants. Come on. He wants you to be full of joy and enjoy and enjoy the things that he's given you. He wants that for you. Yeah, I remember um, taking my daughter to school. 
not that long ago. And uh, we're on our way to school, and she decides she's going to tell me. She's, she's young. She said she's going to tell me something that she had seen at school. And it honestly wasn't anything serious, but it, 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 it like, her antenna went up. And she comes to me, and she says, Dad, this is what I saw at school. And I just, and I had a moment, of course, kind of coached her through the moment. But I thought, you know, it's funny. It's like, I never told her, you can't see these things. You can't talk like this. You can't say those words. You can't do this. Like, I didn't, that's not the way, <laughs> that's not the way we're parenting. We didn't do it like that way. And I just thought it was interesting. You know, I didn't have to tell her how to be good because as a family, we're pursuing the one who is good. It's just, it's just there. It's in it. It's like, wait, this doesn't seem like Jesus because we, we were pursuing Jesus. I think about Adam and Eve. God creates this couple in perfect relationship. And he puts them in this garden. And here they are in perfect relationship and they rebel and they go their wayward way. And three books, church, by the end of the third book of the Bible, there's more than 600 laws on the books at this point. Three books later, 600 plus laws. Not relationship, not, not pursuing the one who is good. This is how you will be good. What is that? It's not relational. And it seems, honestly, it's unattainable. It seems unattainable. It's overwhelming because it is. And you can't do it. And I can't do it. None of us can. And that's where Jesus comes in. And it's, it's this relational faith. And it's this kind of sort of relational type of home that he wants for every, every one of us. He wants it to be relational. So what do we do? How do we respond? How do I have a home where we're pursuing righteousness and we're filled with the fruit of the Spirit? How do I do that? Joshua 24, 15. Then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Make the decision. Make the decision. That's how we do it. Make the decision that you're going to acknowledge God in everything you do. Make the decision that you're going to go to God in prayer. Make the decision that you're going to give your spouse the benefit of the doubt. Make the decision that you're going to extend some grace. Make the decision that we're not just a Christian family. Christ is the center of our home. Make that decision today. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for, for loving us so much and the joy that we have in you. I pray for every person here that, that we would make that decision, that we would make a decision to, to put you in the middle of our home, to put you in the middle of our conversations, to, to think about you when we're contemplating life decisions, the big ones and the small ones. We want to we make a commitment to, to acknowledge you in, in the big things and even the, the little things, even the little things. I'll thank you for that. Thank you for growing us and shaping us to be more like you.